It's the Behind the Dish Podcast with John Buck. Go. I just like to, I mean, whatever we go into, just like I said, real natural. So sometimes I just press play and then we're off. So, um, Jay, where are you from? Uh, What's your kind of your baseball background? Because I didn't even (laughs) – I didn't really even I, – I like to not check because what I like to see is what I'm seeing, what interests me. Obviously, your your lessons, your camps, and the things that you do and you've been putting on for a while and kind of tech part of how you have it put together. I think you, you got a good thing going. So uh, that's what interests me because now that I'm in the offseason, getting ready to do cams, getting ready to do some things with some certain companies, I'm just – getting educated from people who are, I think, doing good. So that's why it brought me to you. So other than that, I don't know your <laughs> background at all. So <laughs> absolutely, you may taught Yaddy everything or you may <laughs> like this may be your first time catching. I don't know. So uh, I, I have not uh, taught Yaddy a thing. Um, okay. <laughs> I can I can say that uh, with, with complete confidence. Um, but no, I, uh, I grew up um, actually in the Philly suburbs, uh, took to the catching position as a nine-year-old kid that figured out that I get to touch the ball every pitch if I decide to suit a beginner. Uh-huh. Nice. Um, so uh, just the math worked out and, and decided to kind of go for it and just fell in love, um, as I'm sure all of us did. Um, something that I've always, I've always believed and continue to preach that I don't think I don't think catchers are developed. I think they're born. Um, even those that haven't taken to the catching position originally, they're catchers. They just didn't know it yet. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I feel like I was pretty much born into the position and it was one of those baptism by fire just threw me back there. And, and like I said, fell in love, um, moved up to, to new England in high school, um, was fairly well recruited, uh, out of high school. And, um, one of the certainly one of the blessings about what I get to do now is to teach all of all of the kids that come through the program of what not to do. Um, I feel like I went through the uh, that process in in a lot of ways that could have been a lot better, um, could have handled it a lot better, could have approached uh, whether it be academics or just the college selection process a little bit better. But um, ended up, uh, long story short, ended up at Southern New Hampshire University where I played three years. Um, transferred down to uh, Coastal Carolina University, uh, down in South Carolina, Um, finished up my college career there, although it got cut a little bit short uh, in the fall season. Once I got there, I suffered an injury um, and ended up leaving school. Um, And on the drive back north, got a call uh, for a contract offer um, to play professional baseball and signed in the Atlantic League uh, with the Nashville Pride um on the drive back up from south carolina um got a, call, got a call from butch hobson um and signed to go down to spring training and ended up suffering a career ending shoulder injury two weeks into spring training oh um, really yeah what was it labrum or a rotator you name it um it was capsule blow up job it was everything um i hadn't realized how much damage i had been doing to my arm um for years uh, it was it was one of those you know I, I threw very hard as a catcher and a lot of the coaches took the approach of if it's not broken why try to fix it and my throwing mechanics in motion were brutal. Yeah. Um, 
and I was tearing my, my shoulder to, to, to shreds. I had bicep tendonitis, a partially torn UCL, and a frayed rotator cuff. Um, and was, was told when I was about 24 years old that uh, I could have all of the surgeries and it would take me about 18 months to get back to, to where I you know, wanted to be, where I felt comfortable playing at that level um, to give myself potentially an opportunity to get into affiliated ball and then, uh, or rehab. And um, it might take a shorter period of time and decided to go that route. And it just, it didn't work out. So um, okay. my, you know, I, there's people talk about the five tool player. They forget about the six tool, which is the ability to stay on the field. And I didn't. Yeah. Have <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, yeah. That's, that's, that's a huge part that, you know, I mean, you get, you got to win the lottery in that regard. too. Right? <laughs> yes. No, I mean, it's, there's, there's so many different things that, uh, that lead to someone getting an opportunity and, and I, I feel lucky that I went through the process that I did um, to at least get to experience what I did when I did so I can pass along that information to, to any of the, the students or clients come into the program. But from there, um, you know, this, this program that I run right now, the Catching Camp, actually begun the summer of my senior year, or excuse me, uh, summer of my freshman year in college as a huh? um, kind of a community service project, um, was to give back to the community a little bit. So I ran a a two and a half hour clinic for the local kids, uh, in my hometown of Hudson, New Hampshire. Um, and after the clinic, I, myself, my father, Dave Weaver, um, started it. Um, and we, uh, we started having conversations with parents after that clinic, we had about 40 kids from like three or four different States. Um, and they all wanted to know whether we would do a, uh, you know, a, a four day or five day version of that clinic. And, you know, we, we weren't a hundred percent sure if that was going to be feasible. In fact, yeah. I had a full-time job. I, I was going back to school and, and then one of the parents said the magic words, like, well, wait, like we, we'd pay to send our kids. I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah. Huh. Um, and it just kind of grew from there. And we had 16 kids from uh, New Hampshire and Massachusetts the first year. And, the last year that we ran it, 2019, before COVID struck, we had 172 catchers from 39 states and nine different countries. Oh, good for you! Um, how, how many how many instructors do you have working that type of camp? Have you has your has your uh, army grown? Yeah, it sound like it started with just you and your dad. Yeah. Uh, is that from past catchers, people that you've had in your academy before? Uh, uh, is that kind of the guys you have helping yeah. you out? Yeah, most of the most of the instructors, if not all of them, uh, at this point, are products of the program, um, and and it's not necessarily because we want you know people buying into the information just because they've gone through it and seen success with it. Um, you know, we've always taken a very objective, um, you know, look at the position and information, and and you know, tried to pick what we teach apart. Um, so we want we we wanted students that have kind of come through the program that have gone through that process and learn not just how to demonstrate the skills, but learn how to teach them and communicate. Um, yeah. And so we've got a staff, it, I mean, it varies every year, um, goes up and down, but we've got anywhere from 30 to 40 uh, instructors from as young as um, you know, 14 years old, um, who've been in the program since they were eight and have just taken to the information and the ability to to really dive into the, the learning process, learning how to communicate these skills. Um, and to myself, I'm, I'm 38 years old. Um, yeah. And they're spread out pretty much around the country. And, and it's, 
it's been a fun process watching watching them get to a level of whether it's success playing the game. You know, we've had a number of of players, you know, certainly make it to the you know college ranks, and and but we've had a few make it to the professional ranks. We've we've you know done consultation with some minor league guys. Have had a couple big league guys that that we've we've done some video work with, you know, here and there, but. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's pretty much where our, where our program is at, at, at this point. And I, you know, like I said, I, I stopped playing a, a while ago, but have, have stayed working in the game for, for a very long time was, a was an associate scout with the angels for six seasons. Um, and, uh, tried to find as many ways as I can to just kind of stay, stay integral to the game and, and, and stay attached to it. Yeah. Is, so is, is the catching camp just kind of a full-time job now? Cause you travel around and do camps and that nature, right? Do you guys have a, like a home base or an Academy that's kind of your spot or a warehouse or is it usually on the field remote? So most of it, we, we used to, for years, we kind of bounced back and forth between a few home base locations and then uh-huh. we, the demand for the program to travel just be just kind of got to a point where during the months where we would need like an indoor facility to set up shop to run you know private lessons on a weekly basis those were the weeks where we were actually you know catching a flight and traveling somewhere around the country to run a weekend event and you know once once i'm back home and once the staff is back home in march you know the weather pretty much warms up around the country and we can get yeah. out if, I, if i do any lessons so technically our home base is we consider it where our, where we run our, our summer camp program which is in manchester new hampshire okay. um, we've we've run it for a number of years at uh there's an old it's one of the oldest uh professional ballparks in the in the country next to fenway park it's uh, uh gill stadium in manchester new hampshire oh sweet yeah so we've run it there. We've run it at a, at a local university up there. Um, kind of bounced back and forth between those two locations in recent years. Um, so yeah, that's cool. That's yeah. awesome. <clears throat> so um, what do going back? So when you start out evaluating a player or starting out um, the youngest age, what what age do you start? You're saying they're born, right? And what, what, maybe we articulate that before we even get into the actual person or any type of physical trait. What's, you say they're born. What is that that they're born? I think I have my idea of what it is, but I want to, I want to hear what yours is. (laughs) There's, I mean, it's, it's no secret that the catching position is the most physically demanding um, on the field. And it takes a certain type of person to be able to accept that and to not have it hinder or inhibit their their development. Uh, in fact, a lot of times, I feel like those that take to the position, it it amplifies it. Um, it's something that is sought out by some younger kids. They start to figure out that it's more fun for them. Um, whether they were dropped on their head as a kid too many times, <laughs> and that's the reason why. Yeah, <laughs> same. I I make right. the joke all the time. I think my parents threw me into like a, a ceiling fan. Um, right. <laughs> It's really the only explanation for for why we we it's not even why we do the job that we do. It's why we enjoy doing the job that we do. Um, So, I mean, we work with kids. um, We pretty much have a cutoff at eight years old is the youngest that we'll work with. Um, Have we made exceptions in the past? Sure. But there's a there's a a learning threshold and a saturation point with information um, that becomes a little bit tougher to to kind of, you know, prolong the. The fill of that um, over the course of of a four hour camp like we run um, on a you know wh- whether it's a two day camp or a three day camp or a four day camp 
younger than eight tends to be a little bit more challenging. Um, we've had parents send in highlight reels and clips to, to beg us to make an exception. And yeah. it, it's happened once, I think, in our program's history, but we've, you know, we've pretty much established that as the, as the breaking point. But, um, but no, I mean, it, is that just because they're able to, their concentration, you have to attain some of the things because catching, it's not like just stand there and react on them. <laughs> Exactly. You're, you're you're doing a lot of things and positioning and moving your body to receive a pitch so yeah. is eight eights kind of your seven eights that's and that's where i think everybody kind of starts the, yeah. the the little league venture is right around seven or eight but uh so that, that makes sense but um when you say it's that, that special individual you're just kind of born how like it's a physical like not afraid to get hurt not being able to play hurt, a certain aggressiveness, a certain thinker, what articulate some of those skills that are just natural. We, whether they're natural, well, they're, I think they're natural in that sometimes they have to be coached out of a kid. It has to be pulled or developed. Yeah. Um, but I think it like the, the phrase that we've used for years is a righteous swagger um, that, the, the kid that walks out on, under the field and has natural leadership capabilities and is, is willing to work harder than some of their teammates at a, at a young age, understands the dedication and the work ethic that's necessary to succeed. Um, I think that that's truly what separates a lot of, a lot of catchers from everybody else. Um, you know, the game's hard. It's, it's not an easy game. Um, it's hard no matter what position you play. But there's so many more variables involved, I think, in the catching position that uh, that that require more attentiveness. Um, uh, you know, it, it, years ago, you know, I mean, a long time ago, um, before either of our days, you know, it was put the big kid behind the plate that can't uh-huh. do it anywhere else. And I think I think pretty quickly people started to figure out that not only do you have to be one of the most athletic individuals back there, but you have to be able to think more than anybody else. Um, and I think yeah. that that shows through at a pretty early age with a lot of students that, that come into the program. Yeah, I I'm surprised because when I'm starting to challenge, I see how maybe my older older boy who had a real good coach who was minor leagues and and knew the game, but even more so now with my ideas and my knowledge to be able to apply since this is my first time coaching my eight year olds all the way through. So to be able to do it and getting them to get in a mindset or a routine of how I would kind of prep my mind, how much they're able to take because what I'm doing is actually reducing thoughts, you know, and how, and seeing how much they're able to grasp, uh, you know, it it impresses me, but there are those catchers. There's a couple kids. uh, One kid that I got kind of soft spoken in my thing is I'm trying to get him as funny as it is, stand out in front of the plate, you know, coming down, you know, balls in, coming down. That's a challenge for him. And where my son, it's like, Beverly, calm down. You don't need to be so loud, be a little more reserved, you know, but they're both, both very aggressive. And that IQ baseball IQ, they want to know, you know, how they they know the counts. They know how even at seven eight years, they know the counts. They know where there's a force play. They're always screaming, hey, you know, and and it seems like that's kind of that what people catchers people 
catchers gravitate toward because that's the exciting part of the game is knowing those little details because that may make, you know, where I was, that may dictate the scoreboard algorithm, may dictate what type of pitch I get and how to, how that articulates. It's those kids that gravitate towards museum. They know how many outs. They know where the force play is. They're very aware. Those are those ones that I would say are your catchers. Would you not agree that are just – they're aware of how many outs. They push everybody. They're into it. And that's – it's in you. You know, you can teach that and people become aware of it, but when it's, it's natural. And then it's also that kid, you take a foul ball in the nuts. You're like, hey, can I have another? You're like, yeah. we might want to keep an eye on that kid. Because <laughs> he ain't quite right. That's the, the take him off the head thing. <laughs> so, um, okay, you got a young kid. You're obviously aware of them. What are what are kids learning now? That we're kind of going the physical thing. We're walking into your one of your camps. How do you assess this? Since you're very good at the camps, and then have a different way of teaching. They're coming into a camp. What do you? How are you? What's your getting their attention? How do you do this to those kids? How, what do you do? I mean, after we go through setting ground rules um, for, okay. for, the, for, for the camp, um, when we get into the actual instruction of the position, um, you know, we, the first thing we start on is getting into stance, um, is understanding we teach, you know, technically speaking, we teach four stances, but three in particular, um, just to kind of, you know, tone it down, whether it's, you know, the sign giving stance, primary receiving position, and the secondary. Secondary. Um, and which we'll call, you know, nobody on or runners on. Yeah. Um, and it's getting, you know, getting a kid or just an athlete in general comfortable with, um, with what may be a new position to them might be a new athletic position that they haven't ever gotten into. And it might be throwing their body into a shock. We want them to experience that a number of times before we even get into asking them to do something. Um, I think, I think a lot of times the, the issues that we see, um, yeah, whether it's a, a, you know, just an airmail into center field on a throw to second base or a ball that was, you know, a blockable pitch that was, you know, that ended up getting by a catcher. Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, I think we can actually trace it back to the stance that the, that the catcher was using. Um, and, or at least that a, a tweak in the stance or an adjustment would have given them a better opportunity for success. Um, and so we start there. I think it's the foundation of every skill. Um, so before we even get into anything, um, I've, I've seen camps out there. I've, as a kid, I was in them where, um, you know, the very first thing we did on the field after, you know, whether there was a stretcher, stretcher or warm up, um, you know, we certainly run our, our catchers through a, a dynamic, you know, stretching routine, um, prior, but after that, you know, it was just right into catching balls and someone attempting to teach you something while a pitch is flying at your face at a young age. And the brain is just going to shut off. The part of the brain that's going to try to learn or, or absorb any information is done. It's, it's yeah. gone. Yeah. Um, so our, our approach is to immediately slow it down a little bit, break down as fundamentally as we can um, to the nth degree, not just what position to get into or how to get into it, but why you're getting into this particular position so that you can understand the process. Um, something that we, we preach to every single kid, every parent, every client is you can't fix something until you feel yourself do it wrong. And if you don't know what the established starting point feels like, you're never going to be able to retrace your steps. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, that's kind of what I do too, because I feel like, like you, that's your foundation. I mean, that's what's going to make me, that's where I'm going to rest and recover. That's where I'm going to start everything. That's where I'm going to go. That's where I'm going to do my thinking. Uh, but also that's where I'm, that's where I'm going to need to be athletic, be able to move. So being familiar with that, I agree with that. Now, <clears throat> what are the other stances since we're on stance? What are the other stances? Cause there's, we talked prior and one of my ventures of why I started doing this is like, what the heck is this? You want me to turn my glove over, put it on the ground with one knee and somehow not get thumbed. All right. So that's where my head went. I was on some of these other stances. What are some of the other um, outside of the three that are pretty standard, which, which I think unanimously you got to know those to be a catcher, even the ones coming up with forward thinking stances. I think they would say, even know this from a, from a ground level, these stances. And, and no, and I know some of them are trying to be so radical to say no, but um, what are, what are some of those other stances? I mean, I think it's, it's a, it's just a, a variation of, you know, a one knee approach, whether you've got, you know, it's it tucked under your body or whether you've got the old Carlos Ruiz or um, Tony Pena's leg out, um, you know, whatever. Yeah. You're basically sitting on the ground. Um, but it's, you know, essentially establishing a lower point uh, for your center of gravity, just under, underneath the ball. Um, and I, I, I definitely, I've, you know, gone back and listened to some previous podcast episodes and, and I know, I know, you know, where, um, it's, it's certainly, you know, infiltrated a, a bunch of the conversations, um, for yeah. sure, which I think is great. Cause I think it's something that needs to be talked about. Um, cause you do, you do get kids that are, that are, you know, watching major league games. And a lot of times they're asking coaches who don't have the answer. Why are they doing that? Yep. And a lot of times the answer is, well, because they're big leaguers. Like, what? Yeah, but why? It, that it's yeah. I, I understand they can get away with it, but what is what's what's the goal? What's the, yeah. what's the you know what are they trying to accomplish with it? And um, and I'll be very transparent. We we absolutely I I will I will teach that to an eight year old. Um, but I think it's exceptionally important for catching instructors to qualify the, the situation where it's appropriate. Um, mm-hmm. I think, and I actually had a very long drawn out conversation over the course of a week through, um, through Instagram messaging with, uh, with a guy that I don't want to say he pioneered it because he didn't, but he's one of the guys in the last, you know, in recent history in the big leagues that started to make a name for himself as one of the best receiving catchers in major league baseball. It's Tyler, Tyler flowers. Um, and a, a few years ago, I had a long drawn out conversation where he didn't like me all that much. I'm sure um, in me kind of attacking the position that he was in on the ground um, after he had let a ball, a couple balls actually go by and run scored on him. Mm-hmm and kind of used it as a, as a teaching moment and made a made an Instagram post video about it just to kind of you know point out what can happen if you're in a you know disadvantageous position as a catcher yeah. with a runner on base or with you know two strikes on a batter where you have to protect for a ball in the dirt um, to prevent a runner from advancing um, 
And he brought up a really interesting point that has kind of reshaped and, and shifted the, the way that we think about it and the way that we approach teaching that particular stance. Um, and his whole thing was that, you know, the data available to him that exists at that level where every pitch is cataloged, there is literally right now, anybody sitting at home can go online um, baseballsavant.mlb.com they can search for a particular pitch in a particular game in a particular at bat they can they can literally click on the little representation of it and a video will pop up of what like that of that actual pitch you can see cause and effect mm -hmm. and so all of this data exists and his point was that over a 162 game season he's going to make up the value he's going to make up that run he just lost um, and I think the season that I had the conversation with him, he was worth, I think it was like 16 runs um, just based on his receiving ability alone. And so he's sitting there saying that I'm, I'm willing to give up, you know, five or six runs a year because I'm going to gain all of these. Now, would I, would I recommend that a eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year old, 13 year old, 14 year old kid that's got a youth pitcher on the mound that can't, <laughs> can't find the strike zone to save his life. Um, what I recommend they put themselves in that position when they're playing a you know 20 game season. No, absolutely not. Um, but with nobody on base, less than two strikes um, with a catcher who's actually grasped the idea of receiving in general has, has worked. I, I one of the podcasts I listened to before is, is was your conversation with Tim cousins. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought one of the, one of the best comments was the, the process that that you know of, of teaching and presenting these skills to to an athlete, you got to start somewhere and you have to develop a foundation. So a catcher at some point is going to be asked to receive on two feet. Start mm -hmm. there, start there, and then work your way into something else. Because if you can't catch on two feet, you're never going to be able to do it from a knee. Yeah. Um, and and I think that is a really important um, important thing to note when considering what to teach uh, a catcher um, are there kids I, I wouldn't ever dream of putting them on a knee um, because they haven't grasped the the purpose behind it because they haven't experienced enough in a regular normal standard fundamentally sound receiving position absolutely yeah I, and I found too when I, I dropped the knee and, and did some things with maybe a heavier set kid, maybe a kid that's having trouble with his his stance, the mobility, flexibility, or even stability in his feet and ankles, you know, because he's a little bit younger. I've seen that it's actually cleared up some of the receiving. And and to be honest, I think with Flowers, his hands were terrible before. When he was when he was normal catching, I think that's that thing. His he was such a big guy. I was a big guy, but I was, I mean, I had a gymnastics background, so I was cheating. Tyler Flowers <laughs> did not have a, a bad gymnastics background. He, he's bigger. He's a little stockier. That's why I think you see guys like, uh, um, what was the other one? The big, the big, huge fella, Philly. I'm spacing his name right now. Uh, um, Getz, 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 yeah. Getz was one of them too, but uh, there's another one, but another big hit. Alvin Perez as well. Yeah. Well, those bigger ones, I think that helps them free up their hands a little bit because it's not you expending athleticism just to be stable and where you move your feet and your body so much to to give you that consistent look to the umpire. I think 
that I mean, that all plays in the factor of looking smooth and be able to catch it consistent. When you take that out and and kind of take the legwork out of your feet, ankles, hips, joints, having to work in unison the way that some of these unicorns make it look so easy when they are up and get a clean ball. Well, I mean, it just shows you, you take some of that out of it and put all that concentration energy into receiving ball. You take Tyler's flan hands and now you've turned him into a good receiver. He wasn't that receiver. When I was playing, when he first came up, we were like, dude, this kid's getting eaten up. I remember thinking about that with Tyler in Chicago being like, Oh, this poor kid's got a long way, you know, but now look at him. I mean, it, the learning and the adaptability of, of what he has become to the position and thought, all right, here's my tools. This is what I got. All right. Made some adjustments. And that's why I've, I've approached it. My way is like, my way is not the only way. This whole position should be about adaptability. And that's what we are is should be a bunch of giant geckos running around with chest <laughs> protectors on uh, just adapting everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I think the, I think the position as a whole is very subjective. It, oh. it very much so depends on an, an athletic an athlete's ability to perform the skill in question. Um, mm -hmm. I do think that, that teaching younger, younger kids at, at an early age, how to do certainly the fundamental things correctly and then graduate to the other things as well so they can start refining that skill set at a younger age so they're not having to completely change course when it actually matters once they get into high school and when they're putting themselves in front of you know recruiting scouts yeah um, and so i think just you know getting getting experience using this stuff um is is important actually right before I, I got on with you i was having a conversation with one of my students down in florida and um the kid is just and he's probably the smartest kid i've ever met in my entire life might be the smartest person i've ever met in my entire life um so that certainly played a part in his coaching his coaches at an early age letting him call games and I, you know, I think, I think there's something, there's a, a lot of times coaches are afraid to give athletes, you know, free reign or leeway for fear of failure when failure is actually going to help them develop. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think, I think my job with what I do is to find out how many ways and how badly I can get any student in front of me to fail so that we can push it to that threshold find out what doesn't work, find out, okay, you've just received, you know, some, some pitches perfectly at every single, you know, quadrant of the strike zone. Let's now work on, you know, dropping your center of gravity, establishing a better angle of attack, or at least a more advantageous angle of attack that you can use in certain situations. And let's crank the velocity up 10 to 15 miles an hour over what you would normally see. And let's see what happens. And uh, does this help you? Does it hurt you? Is that, is that, does that mean that we should stop using it or should we spend further time developing it? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely helps you push past your barriers that you may currently have. I'm always going, what, um, so many topics where do I want to take this. <laughs> Cause I want to, uh, I want to, since we're on receiving, we'll stay there. Um, what about the, the target over like this? And the hand positioning, because I know why they did it. And basically where I got to where I'm at, it just doesn't make sense. Because for what? I understand why you're doing it, working it up. It's a lower quadrant of the 
for 17%. You're getting an extra 17%, but what else are you giving up? So, your, 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 your exchanges aren't as consistent. Your throws on the inside and your thing, all, everything else that you do, manipulate, block, do things, I feel like that just puts you in a, in a weird position. It puts, I don't know if it's because my body's been doing a certain way for so long that it's hard for me to react that way, but also biokinetically talking with, you know, exercise scientists. I know, like, like I've looked into martial arts and looked with David Weck with the meridian lines, which I'm talking to him a little bit on all this stuff. Cause I'm, I'm going, I'm looking at it different. Like, are we faster? Like, are we faster when we move like this? Are we faster here? Like, I want to look at it receiving the same way, like precision boxers do with their striking. Absolutely. Right. And it's, I just feel like I already like my, I can feel my labrum tearing. Like, like I can feel the strain of it, whether it's because I'm old and I have all these years on my body. Right. I just feel like I'm not in a, you know what I mean? When I'm relaxed, like I'm, I don't feel like that. Maybe I'm thinking of it wrong. Maybe I'm just in my body where I'm used to be square. So now the position was just, these are the things I played with. Now the position's played for maybe this part of the, of everything where I'm kind of working through everything like that. Cause it's about giving consistent. I've tried to go through different ways where I can't make it work since for me, sure. this part, the glove on the ground. And I've had Tom Co. I've had, I mean, I've had, I've had lots of conversations with people about what do you think goes with glove down? And they're like, I don't like it. I don't like it. So I also want to know what the benefits you have are taught or what you teach with that much movement going through. Maybe, maybe something will make sense to me or, trigger for me so sure so for for years um it used to be my philosophy to beat the ball to the spot be sitting there waiting for it and stick the pitch present it to the umpire um leave leave no chance for for us as a catcher to take a perfectly good strike and make it look like a ball and the more and more we started diving into information, the more and more I started, I think it started actually with Russell Martin was the, was the first guy that I really started seeing using a glove down approach, working up underneath the ball. And it got the wheels turning for sure. And I mean, I'm sure I wrote articles condemning it, saying he's going to be late to any pitch that's not towards the lower part of the zone. Um, and, and you can kind of talk your way around that. I did for years to make it make sense. Um, the problem is, is that the information, the numbers don't actually lie. And when we broke it down with high speed video and we started looking at those in the game that are having the most success with it. So I've actually, there's an, I spent a ton of time about a year and a half ago writing a, a pretty involved article, um, after having a conversation with, um, a number of, you know, guys in the game, um, Danny Jansen, um, Craig Driver, who was the, uh, the Phillies receiving uh, coordinator with, um, for years, he's now, I think, the Cubs first base coach, um, who now Wilson Contreras is having one of his best seasons ever as a receiving catcher. Um, and I'm sure it's, you know, in due part to Tim Cousins. Very, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure Craig has, has had a role there as well. Sure. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, and and uh, and the Reds with Tucker Barnhart. 
And those three guys, so JT Realmuto being the, the guys from the Phillies, those three guys were three of the worst receiving catchers in Major League Baseball for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, f- from in 2018, they ranked, I mean, I think the highest, I think Danny Jansen was like 47th overall in catch in receiving efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, Real Muto was in the 70s and Tucker Barnhart was like 127. Um, they were all in the top 10 in 2019 and they made massive adjustments to, to their, their path approach to receiving a baseball. And so a couple things to, to talk about the, like the, the idea, like the, the thumb down. Yeah. So I agree with you on that for sure. Um, I don't want a chicken wing approach. You're going to get the thumb broken. The thumb's not supposed to bend back. It'll happen. Here's, here's the thing that, that I've begun implementing to help kind of, you know, offset that issue to an extent. And part of it is the angle at which you're actually relaxing the hand down. Um, that if I'm set up on my glove side, on, and that's where I want the pitch being thrown, it's not like I'm, I'm tipping a pitch. I'm already set up there. So my glove, instead of relaxing thumb down, I'm going to relax more pinky down. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to allow myself to attack from the outside of the ball in instead of this approach, which if I'm set up down the middle and I get a, you know, a hard cutter, I might not have any, you know, any. Well, when I, when I was talking to Todd, is what he's saying is that they try to trigger. So that ball's coming. You're trying to literally catch it off your thumb and flip kind of, they're trying to flip it back. I'd say it's so one of the things that we see, especially young kids. It's, so in trying to teach this, the young kids, we've kind of found some of the common flaws. One of the biggest, most common flaws for a kid is using wrist and shoulder to make that move when your arm naturally through extension is going to get there anyway. Um, everything's going to level out the more you push your arm forward. So thanks, Siri. Um, so, so it's, they're not, li- they're not listening. No, <laughs> not at all. So it's, it's going to get there anyway to get to extension and, and basically turn the wrist to the, to the point where it wants to be anyway. That said, I don't ever, uh, and this is, this is a purpose for, for why I'm a huge advocate of, it doesn't necessarily have to be a glove on the ground. Um, I think, I think to be honest, a, a pitcher's opinion of where they're comfortable with me bringing the glove matters. That's, that's kind of, that's, that was, Paul Baca, the catchers, Paul Baco, and then uh, Baker, two guys that were both my backups. So I had good relationships and just had these type of good conversations. Like, what do you guys think? And then they both said, I, really, I don't care. If they want me to do that, I'll get good at doing that. I think it's both of them said it feels like a long way. Right. We're doing small. That's whether it's the way we thought or processed, the way we were taught. That's where we were taught. And that's what that was their reaction, both the reaction. That's the same area I'm, era that I'm from. Right. So that was their take on it. But they both said, I'm down for anything if it's, if it, if it's at 17% and it'll make my hands good for an extra year, Baco said, I'm down. I'll catch however the hell you want me to catch. So, I think that's people where you're constantly that's that shows you just zero ego with either of them. What's going to make me catch better? What's going to make that guy throw better? So 
I just, that's why some of the, I've asked some of those questions. Do you guys like it down here? Cause that could be a factor of why I do it. But um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I think one of the guys that varies it up um, and this, I, I haven't talked to him specifically about the extent of which he's dropping the glove and whether it varies because of the pitcher on the mound or type of pitch, maybe yeah, for sure. Uh, um, slider but, down and in or whatever. Yeah. So Danny Jansen, um, the guy, uh, yeah. Jays, um, insanely cerebral guy. Um, just always thinking it through, trying to find the edge and continue to put in, put in the work. I think the guy's tremendous. Sound, sounds like a catcher. Yeah, yeah exactly. So he, um, his, the, the extent at which his glove drops does vary. Um, but his approach, his angle of attack to, to the pitch is usually very, um, very routine, very similar. Um, Cause essentially, and this is, this is the biggest reason why, why I'm a big advocate of that approach um, establishing a from down to up attack angle to a ball. And it's not even, it's not just always that um, it depends on, you know, where you've called for the pitch, but I never want my glove moving away from the strike zone. And the more and more I've looked at high speed video, the more and more I've looked at cause and effect um, results from video at the highest levels of the game, the more you start to realize that as much as a catcher might think that they are the strongest like individual in the field and that they can stick a pitch. I don't care if it's coming at 75 miles an hour or a hundred, your gloves moving after contact, whether you think so or not, it is. And every single inch of movement can impact an umpire's decision. And if I'm starting neutral, any movement from here is moving away. Okay. Now I can, I can mitigate that with lateral shift with my hips to keep the ball inside my shoulders. I actually just put up a post like an hour ago uh, mm -hmm. about Omar Navarez uh, with the Brewers with a subtle shift, which actually allowed him to keep his, you know, the ball inside his shoulder and gave him control of his arm. Um, so he was able to, to keep the ball from pulling his glove outside the zone. But if your if your glove is starting inside, it will always be moving away. Whereas okay. if my glove starts outside the zone, it has no choice but to move back towards it. Or it, I've got to go safety mode and go attack the pitch that my pitcher just on cork that's was never going to be called a strike anyway. Um, so I think establishing an angle of attack that makes sure that if your glove moves, and I'm not, so you see guys like, like JT Realmuto, you see guys like um, uh, Barnes oh, uh, out, okay. in, out in LA, LA. Um, where their, their gloves are moving probably exponentially more than anybody else's. I mean, you're talking eight to 12 inches of movement. Yeah. And Flowers usually- what was that flowers is a lot too yep. he, he like circles yeah it's in my in my head common sense should tell me well that much movement you're basically telling the umpire that the pitch wasn't good enough for you so how could they call it a strike the thing that is that was tough for me to to really understand or at least identify the information to help get me to that point was that just in breaking down umpire tendencies and understanding um, just the visual cortex in, in the brain and how, how it processes information. And regardless of how an umpire sets up behind a catcher, their head is always going to drop at some point. And when it does, they actually lose sight of the ball and their brain being the most, most unbelievably cool, complex uh, muscle in our body in real time can retrace the steps of the ball based on all the other, you know, external environmental factors, including the movement of the glove. Um, 
so what what I've started to to realize and what I've started to to kind of see with guys like that, especially I mean real Muto, it's it's a foot almost. A yeah, foot. it's a big one. And I and I've gone back and tried to figure out like how how on earth is this is this positive value? How does that in any way help you? And what I've started to kind of figure out is is that one he's probably done the math that if he's if he loses any calls on that it's not going to outnumber even come close to he's the he's the second most efficient receiving catcher in the big leagues right now today this season and so you there's there's an argument. you watch you watch him you wouldn't think so how many ball how many balls he goes like this he does he absolutely has a has a little bit of a chicken wing approach um to it but it, get, also, it looks like he gets handcuffed on a few it does but I think the angle that he takes to most of the pitches actually gives him more control than it would have if he didn't. And I think that's kind of what it comes down to is what, what are the, what are the trade-offs? If I'm going to lose a couple calls. This that's why I say, what's the give and take. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah. You have to understand what the break even point is and then work, work positive. And if, if we're saying I can withstand a number of the calls that I'm going to lose because I'm going to gain 80% of the ones I otherwise, otherwise wouldn't, then it's, it's, there's no question. It's a no brainer. What's what's the what's the throwing numbers? That's one thing I don't know. What's the what's the the, the times, the exchange times? Glove so, to glove to the ball and then to your hand, maybe to launch or whatever. Is that a, have those increased or decreased? It hasn't had any effect whatsoever. And it's huh. it's actually one of the things. So throwing is is one of those, I feel like the rest of the game from a catching perspective at the highest levels, um, have been in at least in recent years have been very progressive people have been a little bit more open-minded and objective we've kind of gotten out of that rut of it being good know, old boy exactly <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth yeah. uh, <laughs> you using the two-hand gloves still right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's not yogi Berra back there yeah exactly like, and it's it's tough to break away from that but we have in regards to receiving and blocking throwing there's a lot of old school methodology that's still being taught with bogus reasoning. And so one of the things that people forget, so we, I, I advocate getting to an upright athletic level, like staying low in your crouch doesn't actually do anything, but inhibit your ability to use your core and to tap into the strongest, most supportive muscles in your body to produce a high level throwing motion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we don't warm up on the foul line, crouch staying low so why would we do that in a game we should be focused on finding a way to get to that point in the process as quick as we possibly can yeah well we have from pitch contact to to the point where my throw should begin which is when my hands separate the moment my hands separate i'm throwing i have that entire time while i'm standing up while i'm getting turned while i'm getting my foot underneath my center of gravity to to, to position myself for forward forward progress um i have that entire time to get my hands to neutral um, to make the exchange. So I, cause I actually, I, I definitely, I've, I've heard that before. Like, okay, listen, if you're one, if you get handcuffed over here, you're, you know, you're in trouble because now you got to get all the way back. A lot of times it's going to open up your shoulders when you want to be closed or at least closing. Um, I would say that you still have the entire time you're standing up to get yourself turned, which is when your hands can be coming together. All of those movements are overlapping. Um, it's one movement leaking into the next, the, you know, do I on occasion see a kid who starts low catches a pitch and his hands all of a sudden is exchanges up by his head. 
it happens for sure, which is why we. But it, yeah, any habit, any skill yeah. you do, you're gonna have. Yeah, that's the thing is, I don't, I, I don't want to look at it like it's. I'm looking for bad things, which I think a lot of people do. You know what I mean? I'm looking for like, is this a tool that can work with my body? Mm-hmm. And is it a tool? Because I kind of was in my mind like, all right, there's going to be some catchers that are following me or whatever, especially the ones I'm giving lessons to that are listening. Because I'm flat out telling them like, as they're coming in here, I'm like, who's telling you to do this? This Todd guy. I'm like, all right, Todd, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And but I'm and coming from a spot of like, this is how you catchers. What I really liked about you is what you do a good job is explaining why. Here's the methodology. This is why I do it. This is the reasons I'm doing it. This is why I may do it, may not do it. And these are the scenarios I may do it. I think that's pretty important because you're not getting all that information from watching TV and you sure in hell ain't getting all that information from dad who watched YouTube and baseball. So like, Johnny, drop a knee real quick and start doing what Muto's doing here with no reasoning for it, you know? And that's, that's the issue. Is yeah. You've got coaches, one, they'll either try to implement something or rule something out without any understanding as to why it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. See that. And I, even myself, I mean, I'm, I didn't want to do that. And I saw, and I was like, I called up Tim Covens and I was like, what in the hell is everybody doing? Have they lost their mind. I go and coach little league for two years and everybody goes bonkers and catching all weird. What's going on? And then, because as I was leaving the game, when I was in New York, that's when it just started. Seeing balls that we took for strikes and balls that were going out. And we started, because I talked with the umpires, it's the whole catch and the ball in. That's where it really became. And it wasn't the whole picture frame. You did picture frame. To, those were balls. That's what you did to balls, and you did it real deliberate. Yep. And and then I started. I asked um, Teddy Bear. I said, "What are you guys watching?" Then he started saying, "We're taught if you hold it on the corner up, you're telling us you think that's into the zone, or or no, if it was flat. Sorry, if it was flat. So you started pulling it back into the zone. That's that was the first thing of starting." the into the zone because they had we had this box so that's what we were doing and it was all within our wrist and i found the benefits the evolution of that where it was just stick it right to stick it or stick it to make it look the same same theory but then i started feeling i could beat the ball and roll that back in and get three or four more inches that's where it started like when all in that area, when we started, when all of a sudden we started seeing, like, I was like, ooh, I can steal these things right here. And it became real wrist. But like we do, like any human or any ball player, you give us an inch, we'll take an effing yard. <laughs> here we go. We start flowers going like this. But, but even on that, there's some benefits to that side if you use it strategically. And I, what I've found through this journey is there's there's a lot of, good things and i really think like what you hit the nail on the head is you got to see what this takes coaching it's one having the coaches see it and articulate it for that right individual i have two kids now one of them is doing it is this todd kohler prodigy or whatever but he's having trouble 
like very inconsistent of receiving the ball in the pockets. And so I switched club position. He was dropping too far. He was getting late, catching it deep. It, he still does those movements, but since I've kind of done it here, it's cleaned it up. It's almost like a happy meeting the other way. Now I have another kid that I'm taking me, who's very robotic, a little bit heavier. <clears throat> his mobility and flexibility in his stance, malo, no bueno, right? I've put him down. His hands are good. Yeah. His hands are good. His body weight is it's kind of low. He's got a big old ass, right? <laughs> Which, but he's super athletic. But now it puts it less taxing on his knees because he's on the one knee. Like it's not constantly. And I remember, I remember uh, Nike. I was part of me and Posada because we had the same agent aces. They were asking us, what can we do for your knees? You know, the little, how it's flat yeah. on the, the Nike singer. That was me and Posada giving our own little input when we were making those. Probably more Basada than mine. Let's be honest. <laughs> I happened to be there. <laughs> so it benefited from being around Posada and the same agent. But anyways, <laughs> so that, that flat thing, and they were telling, <clears throat> excuse me, they were telling us just <clears throat> the amount of balancing on the round, yeah. what that did over a compound 162 and 180 games. Science of what that does to all our receptors and our balance and how it decreased and what that might mean for our hitting june july august <clears throat> and so you start to think about the position like that on a heavy stick kid i've just set him up to be athletic now i've set him up in a position with this stance that i was like morons what the hell are they doing now i got above average catcher on my hand on this kid that was having a little bit harder time moving that's why i like it and i like it because it in some ways because we're not we're all different our stances are different. I mean, if you can have Kevin Euclid be hit from that athletic stance, that's just usually your proof right there. People feel different because what you feel is not real. And and if they can get into a position to make their hands athletic, that's ultimately what I'm seeing. But identifying and doing homework with that, and I think with your system and the education, this is why I think it's like the reason you were on my map in this discussion is you do a good job at articulating both styles um, and, and also giving information why they're doing that or why they're not doing that. And, and so you do a good job of that. So, sure. um, at your camps, um, you have, uh, usually do, you said you had a four day camp. Is that how you do them? How do you usually do them or how do you like to do them? What are the different variations? So we, we, uh, from the months of October through March, um, I'm pretty much on the road almost almost every weekend um, okay. we'll we'll fly into different locations um facilities or fields that we've got a, a local host that has brought us in and we'll run um a four-hour camp for the eight to 12 year olds and we'll run a, a four-hour camp for the 13 18 year olds and then we'll do a second day um with the same group of kids on on sunday um, and all the same stuff the same um so we will normally break it up um like i said we we start with very foundational skills um ahead of time I, you know we i'll make the the point a number of times every weekend that you know you're going to have no greater impact on your game than how you receive and present pitches you know we we throw three to five times a game we block 10 to 15 balls we receive 80 to 100 like with that that's where our value is so we're going to start there and we're going to, we're going to hammer it home with a bunch of, you know, we're going to establish the, you know, the basis and foundation for the skill, and then we're going to drill it. 
Um, and we'll go through that over the course of the first day. And then we'll work into blocking and do the same thing. And then we start on the second day of our, of our, uh, our camps with throwing and we, we go through video breakdown. And when we go through drills, we do, you know, we have an entire video delay system hooked up so kids can get immediate visual feedback on what they just felt. And we can go down. And, yeah. I mean, it's not everybody is a visual learner, but everybody learns visually. So correct. Being able to, to, you know, implement that in a live instructional environment. Huge. That would be huge for me. Yeah, Cause I'm, yeah. <laughs> Same. It's, it's, it's massive. You know, the, there's a reason I, I read picture books as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> that made sense to me. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it, it's, it's easier to connect dots for a young kid who a lot of the time um, is being taught by a coach who doesn't necessarily understand that the human brain learns in different ways. You know, I, I was very fortunate. My, my father, both, both my parents actually were special needs educators. Okay. So the idea that you need to mirror the learning style of the student in front of you um, so that you can communicate adequately with them so that they can absorb the information and then actually use it is so unbelievably important because if you can't do that, it's not going to matter. So we, we, we spend time breaking down video. Actually, the, the video that we've used over the last year was a video for throwing, for that matter, was a video of like Roberto Perez. Um, if I had to pick a guy out in the big leagues who, you know, does what we teach or we teach what he does, whether you one way or the other, um, yeah. you know, he's, his, his movements are almost flawless. It's just, it's majestic to watch that guy throw. So we'll break down his throw. We'll break down a bunch of other throws. We'll show a few of what not to do. Um, if some of those big league guys are watching, my apologies. We're just using it as a teaching form. Oh, screw uh, <laughs> If your eagles are that bad, why are you listening to this podcast? Beat it. You can say whatever you want to them. Because <laughs> if they get offended, I'll argue with them. How about that? There you go. Hey, I've, we've, we've always said, you know, we, I welcome a conversation if, if someone – Obviously, you know, you played a game at a significantly higher level than I do. So your, your experience behind home plate in a big league game with the information that you've got available to you, with the scouting reports that you've got available to you, the conversations you have with a pitcher before the game that I didn't have access to, whether I got there or not, I'm not there that day. Yeah. Um, so your, your approach may, may not necessarily make sense to me as the viewer um, or an instructor, but you have a reason for it because you've got information that I don't. Well, I, I want those conversations. I want it like feed, yeah. me, feed me what's going on behind the scenes. And I will, I will build that into the explanation of why what happened happened. But I think, I think, you know, not taking advantage of the, the, the visual um, information that we've got out there is, you know, would be, you know, it just, it, it wouldn't be fair to, to yeah especially now with content and the way the thing is now it's a it's a tool it's definitely a tool how you do it Absolutely. yeah and you and you you brought up things and i think why i catches us at all of us like you said it's a different person i think what everybody i'm kind of calling reaching out to and they're like oh john okay yeah but i think every conversation i've had i think they, they just feel comfortable because they know oh it's a catcher He's like me. He's seeking him for, he's coming to me, even though he didn't play. I haven't played 12 years. And like, I'm coming to you because that's how we are as catchers. If you think, you know, this game, you're screwed. 
I, like, like I to for me to think that I got the answers just because I played more game. That's right there. You're admitting you don't know a whole lot, you know. <laughs> or if you're not receptive to knowing or being a spot that knowing, like this game's gonna move on, grow without me. So there in itself, it's gonna. I.e. That's why we're here because I'm like, what the hell is this? What's all these kids doing this for? My point right there is. This game will continue to always evolve. So if you if you don't approach this game as I can learn from everybody, from everybody's experience, like the way you explain how you want to talk to me, how I want it, I feel equally as you. And if you don't have that, then it's you're not, you're wrong. You're, you don't have the answers. Or if you're so close-minded to not hear anybody else's approach or involvement of the position, you will stay where you're going to stay. Agree. you won't you won't get better i that's that's a given and i think that's what makes catchers different is because it's also why it makes us the managers because yes. we're intuitive about the game that's also why we're entrepreneurs <laughs> yeah uh, you know when people uh leave the game i think it's just a it's that special mindset of we just we're just different <laughs> you know it's 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 following through on the idea of that the day that I stopped learning about the game should be the day that I stopped teaching it. Correct. And, and having that fully envelop your approach and being objective, it, you're right. It, it's, it's so much more in line with the mindset of a catcher on any given basis on any, any given day, any pitch that we're sitting back there calling, we're pulling information and second guessing ourselves over and over and over again to come up with the right solution to a very individualized you know, problem, you know, what did this hitter do in the last at bat? What, you know, where were they set up? Has their hands or feet, you know, changed or shifted at all? Are they trying oh, to prep is. for a certain pitch? Like there's so much more involved with how we think through every decision that we make that those that then leave the, leave the game can't turn that off, nor should yeah. they, to be honest. Yeah. Um, there's, it's funny. Cause I, um, so I, I, I had a guy, that came to me this is this is years ago it's probably about six or seven years ago and he was in big league camp with the twins and i won't i'm not going to throw out his name or the the, the instructor that worked with him that i'm just not going to do that but <laughs> but he had he had flown up to to new hampshire for a couple of weeks to put in some work because he knew that unless he hit 30 bombs in the next year he either needed to get better at throwing or he was done and so we spent a good bit of time working on his footwork, his release, his throwing motion, everything. Cause he was, he was a guy that could come out of his crouch over 80, but he was consistently throwing two twos in, yeah. in double a and, and couldn't figure it out. You know, he'd pop off, you know, a sub two throw to second base every now and again, now and again, but it wasn't consistent and he couldn't yeah. figure it out. So we make all these adjustments, a lot of which are, you know, go against the grain on what was at that point, commonly known as you know a, an advantageous approach to throwing what's going to make you faster and quicker what's going to help with your release and and he pops off he gets onto the field and the first thing that they do obviously you know spring training they go down get the catcher work in so they can get into the they can get into cages hit catch bullpens you know get get into the meeting room and do what they need to do he goes out into the field throws three under one eight in a row mm. He gets into individual work in the cages with this guy. And the first thing out of the guy's mouth was, you know, that was great. That was awesome. You clearly did some work. Now here's, 
here's how we're going to get you even faster. And everything that he had just told him was exactly what he was told the year before and the year before and was what he had changed from because this particular guy had, had just sunk his heels into, I know what I know. And this is, this is what I teach. And this is how I know you can be faster, even though it was the complete opposite of what was going to help him. So us as catchers, it, it, it just makes sense to always be taking all of the information, breaking it down and figuring out the best approach. You know, I, I think there, I think there is a, I think there is a, a, a most efficient approach, but I think it's subjective to each individual and you have to right. find that. Yeah. You, know, you can, you know, at, at the end of the day, there's a, an analogy that, a, that an old friend of mine came up with. And he said, you know, you mechanics, the approach to any athletic skill, you can, you can take two cars onto the Indianapolis 500. Um, one's a Ford Pinto, an 87 Ford Pinto. The other's a brand new Ferrari. Now, both have been maintained, kept up, oil changes. Both are fully gassed up. They're both going to make it around the oval just fine. They're not going to break down. One's going to do it better. Which one would you like to get into? And if you can't find that car, if you haven't done your homework and figured out where it is, then you're only hurting yourself. And if you're an instructor, if you're a coach, you're hurting your player. Yeah, no, that's correct. Yeah, it's. I think, too, it's a skill, too, is have, to be a player – and learn how to shift through of all this information we're getting, you know, and then, and know when to think like, all right, too much or think, bang, like, like your catcher, give them a couple. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe do it right there. And then on your own, do it. <clears throat> because I think there's a thing of being, be, have being convicted on what you're doing. And, and if you're not buying it from a coach or whatever, it's not vibing. You need more information because you can't buy it. I wouldn't let it just sit or have it be an excuse for later. You know, that's one thing that I think my uncle who played football, he said, every coach, you need to look at him like you're, especially if you don't like him, you're going to use him. You're going to suck stuff out of him. And then, and it helped me learn how to shift through because I, I looked like I, I was getting something from everybody. And if I was getting one little thing from it, whether I liked you or not, it also helped me like, I don't like what you're saying, but I got to get something. What, what, you know, it helped me have a better mental approach when people were giving me stuff like that scenario that, cause that happens a lot, especially if you start being good, you're a top prospect or you're a good high school or college kid. People want to put their, their thumbprint on you. You've heard that before yep. learning how to just, uh-huh, uh-huh, and then go do what you do. Yep. That's a skill because it's hard to hear these figures that you're supposed to look to and they start de- derailing you because I think then you're going into that realm of performance because that guy, he knew what he want, so he's putting his agenda, like not letting that agenda get in the way of your game. is It's tricky. It's a hard skill. It's it's not easy. And, I mean, kids kids these days are dealing with – with, you know, a lot of coaches with, with massive egos that, that for whatever reason that, you know, it, it's, I don't, I don't think anybody can earn an ego that give, should give them the, you know, the ability to dismiss anything simply because it didn't come out of their own brain. And, you know, we're, we're routinely telling athletes like, listen, you know, your job in that moment is to find a way to communicate to the coach, how you want to be the best catcher you can for them. 
And a lot of times it'll open up a conversation and, and you can at least talk your way through so that maybe they can give you some insights as to maybe what they're actually asking a kid or, or just, you know, even if it's a professional athlete, maybe what they're actually asking is going to help them. But yeah. they're not they're not necessarily tooled in how to communicate it properly. And they need to have and they're they're constantly seeing this brick wall being put up because it's not what this what this you know catcher has either been taught in the past or or has is doing. And and they then get defensive. Um, I think it's very important for you know to find as many ways as you can to break that wall down to at least have a human conversation to right. say, listen, I want to be the best version of myself because it's going to help me. But it's also going to help you. So can we can we talk this through so that we can accomplish that goal at the very minimum? Let's do that. Yeah, and and communication seems to be an ever so valuable tool for catchers to have because that so much of that right there, getting that through the, your pitchers is a catcher skill and again a managerial skill, and probably no no coincidence why that's there. Sure. Do you, what 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 type of uh, I mean the whole world's going to tech here. Are we on a Zoom meeting. <laughs> um, it's obviously changed scouting. Uh, how do you feel social media and all that is done? You think I mean it's given a different. I mean in all things, it's different. It's weird. We're all going through this. Um, I believe it could be a a positive, but I want to kind of get your view on. Uh, how it could be a positive or a negative. I think it's, it, it, I mean, there's definitely two sides of it for sure. Yeah. Um, I think it's absolutely given athletes more access to information they otherwise wouldn't have. Um, right. As, as someone who, you know, puts out content on a regular basis, it's given me the opportunity to reach players that I might otherwise not have, you know, had an opportunity to, um, you know, I've, I've never held a, a, you know, a role in a major league organization other than a scout. I've, I've never been in on the instructional level um, as of yet, but I've, I've been able to, through social media, gain access to some of those players who are, you know, trying to seek out ways to become better, better players. This, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Be, because of the content that's being put out. And I think, I think it's, it's the, the benefit far outweighs the, you know, the negative um, for sure. I think, you know, on the negative side, it, it definitely can cloud um, and, and confuse players that are, that are, you know, constantly looking everywhere and not necessarily grasping the whole, take a little from here, take a little from there. Let's figure out what works for me and, and try this, try that. It's now getting this, you know, almost an information overload, mm -hmm. which which you know tells me that they haven't necessarily been been taught how to how to you know kind of that information. exactly, yeah. um, but but I think it, overall it's a, it's been a great thing um, for information and getting getting stuff out to, to guys. Yeah, I, I I think it's been good too with the kids because I, I feel like it's a teaching they all have it, so I can say hey you know it's a good tool to be able to teach them in film what to look for and they can like what you said having that visual thing to be able to do it so i think it's been good i think it's definitely changed how we do things i think kids are a little more apt to to follow the crowd now a little bit but yep. i mean that's society now right it's not just i don't know <laughs> i think that's just how we all are um 
What about uh, you have uh, special invitation only camps? I kind of like I kind of like that idea. How, when you identify those, is it just usually like your upperclassmen, those guys that are maybe ready for those some of the things that we talked into, like how do I read this guy's body language? How do I oh oh one one two two like those type of things, like those finer things, or what? What is that that you cover in those special camps if they go to yours? By by invitation only. I kind of like it because it makes me want to, like I told you, I was going to do some of my own camps, but it's a very unique thing that kind of got me like, ooh, I want to be a part of this thing. It kind of gives that cool insight. I'm getting inside scoop stuff right now. So we've, we, like I said, we've been, we've been doing this for the better part of the last 20 years um, and probably run, I don't know how many camps it is at this point, but it's, it's well over a hundred. I think we started traveling in 2007 ish is when we started hitting the road. So we've been at least traveling now for about 13, 14 years. Um, And so at every event and this kind of, this basically popped up um, and I'm going to, I'm going to give him a shout out because he's the reason this kid is, he's one of the best kids that I've ever met. Um, also an incredibly cerebral individual, always trying to get better, always trying to work hard, has been struck with some terrible luck health-wise. But we were running an event in Columbus, Ohio, and there's a kid, his name's Philip Pike. And Philip was one of those kids that we kind of identified. Every event, there's at least two. We can usually find two. And there was a, there was a young lady at one of our events, we also work with the, with the girls, um, who, who just they stand out. They, it's not even that they're the best catchers. They're the best students. They're the ones that want it more. They're the ones that. Well, we were talking about before the, yeah. that thing. Okay. They have the quote unquote it factor. They're, they're the ones that are willing to run through a brick wall, but also before they get to it, ask why they're doing it. Um, and that's, <laughs> and not like in a, not in a disrespectful, like we're blocking. Why are we blocking? Like, no, it's, they, they want to know because they're trying to get better and they're fully embracing the opportunity. You're, you're kind of singling out the intuitive, curious mind. Those kids. And yeah. we, were, we were sitting down at dinner after the event and um, one of my instructors made a comment off the cuff about you know, how great it was for him to have been at the camp. And, and, uh, and I, I turned around and I said, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could run an event with like 30 Phillips? um and like just have him and that's not to say i mean i love every kid that comes into the program we absolutely enjoy the opportunity to work with them but but i'd be lying if i said that there weren't a a special few that stood out in both their their understanding of the material and the information and their work ethic and so we decided that year um when one of my instructors looked up and she was like are we allowed to do that i run the thing i'm pretty sure we can do it and, it's just been done. <laughs> yeah, we we already started the process, and uh, we we ran the first event at the now Jackie Robinson Training Complex down in Vero Beach, Florida, um, and have been down there a few times now. And we invite, you know, probably no more than we see we see anywhere from you know six to seven hundred kids a year, and we'll invite out of out of that you know out of that group, we'll take catchers so we'll take like 2100 catchers and we'll invite 80 of them they've got to be over the age of 13 they had to have been to um at you know at least two of our camps it's not a require. it's not a pay-for-play thing at all it's it's we i want to have the time to be able to to understand who you are as a student so we want experience with that kid 
Um, so they had to have been to at least two of our road trip camps or have gone through private lessons um, or they've, they had to have been to a summer camp and a, and you got like, so you got a foundation so you can yeah. get to that, that next level stuff. We want a familiarity with the terminology and approach. Um, okay. you know, I, we usually will bring about, you know, five or six of us instructors for 25 or 30 kids. Okay. And it's the easiest three day, three day event. We usually run it over Jack over, um, the, uh, Martin Luther King weekend in January. And we, it's the it's the easiest three days of any of our lives because these are the kids that are you know the type a go-getters they know what they're doing they've like we just need to basically point them in the direction have all the drill stations set up and when they hit the ground after they've warmed up they're gone yeah we'll we'll you know go around we'll refine some stuff we certainly break down game film um to talk about pitch calling to talk about situational you know, preparation as a catcher to make sure that you're doing the things that you need to, that you're aware of the things that you're, that, that you need to, that we just don't necessarily have time to build into one of our normal events or don't necessarily think that it's that the kids that have gotten into that particular camp are yet ready to hear it because they haven't established the foundation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a good concept. I like that. Because there's always those, it helps separate that. So when I s thought about that, that's exactly. Because there's always a group that could, that are just there and they're excelling at all the drills and you, you get kind of left like, oh, oh, you need a little more. So that's, I like that concept. So I might have to steal that. <laughs> I'll call that my catcher's camp segment of whatever John Buck catcher's camp. Go. Go <laughs> but, uh, man, I, I appreciate the, the intellect and knowledge you brought to the game. And then also heck the, the catcher service you're providing to the world. What, and, and since we're on it, what are, what are kind of your platforms and where, how can they obviously catcherscamp.com or what so are those handles? It's catchercamp.com is the, is the website. We've got a bunch of web articles where I'm actually in the process of finishing up um, a very involved uh, ebook that pretty much, compiles mm -hmm. everything that we're teaching we should be releasing that at some point over the next two months did we uh, see that was, no we didn't see that it was uh, it was another one <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be we'll be putting it out there um we are on instagram facebook and twitter at, at catching camp or more active on instagram over any of them uh to be honest if you if you want to know what we teach just comb through our feed um we pull videos from a multitude of sources a lot of it's from major league baseball and we'll put it up there and there's basically a, a small short little article underneath each video explaining what's going on what we want to take from it what you know what the teaching point is um but yeah you can follow like i said follow us at, at catching camp and uh we do have a, a like i said our four-day camps are in uh are in july and august it's july 12th through the 15th and august 2nd through the 5th and registration is open um at catchingcamp.com and yeah, just go check it out. Because catching camp on his Instagram is what kind of lured me in the content and the way he explains it. And really probably more the a lot of the Instagrams, it's video, but a lot of the information you put down below was what sucked me in and how you articulate it. So you do a very good job. Keep it up. You're serving the catcher nation very well. And uh, I'm, I'm glad I was able to uh, get smarter, get better being around you and, uh, and we'll do it. We'll do it again. Would love to. I look forward to it. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. See you, Jay. See ya.